0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Noah today completes the recording of his forthcoming book, uh, Mazel tov to you. It's a Thank you. agonizing experience having to hear yourself read your own writing for five days. And so that will be out when uh, the publication date is July five, but
1: you can pre-order it today or tomorrow or any day between now and July five at any of your favorite bookstores or at HarperCollins.com. Thank you. And the title and the title is of course, the Rise of the new Puritans fighting back against progressives' war on fun. And new Puritans will get you where you need to be.
0: There you go. Uh, so we will be discussing that through the summer um, and uh, and in June um, today. I want to begin by reading from Mark Halpern's superb Wild World Wide World of News new daily newsletter, which he produces seven days a week. Um, and if you don't subscribe, you should. Um, Biden versus McCarthy, which is bigger? Which is the bigger news story? A, one of the most vivid illustrations to date of the apparent mental decline of the President of the United States, or B, one of the most vivid illustrations to date of the apparent willingness of the most likely next Speaker of the House to brazenly lie in public, especially when it comes to to anything related to Donald J. Trump. Before you answer, some of you, I suspect, will want the word bigger defined, possible options. One, the most coverage in the dominant media. Two, the most coverage on Fox News. Three, the bigger impact on whether a child in America will go to bed hungry. Um, The question of which narrative is bigger is the lead in today's wide world of news. That's this newsletter. So uh, Blue Twitter, Heather Cox Richardson and Rachel Maddow think the story of Kevin McCarthy's apparent lies and allegiance to Mr. Trump is the bigger story, by any measure. And indeed, this morning, turning on Morning Joe was 20 minutes on on this Kevin McCarthy story, which summarized by the Associated Press is House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy told fellow GOP lawmakers shortly after the January 6th Capitol insurrection that he would urge then President Donald Trump to resign. What's important here is we we read this yesterday in the Jonathan Martin Alexander Burns story in the New York Times. Yesterday, somebody released the video, the, excuse me, the audio of McCarthy <coughs> saying he was going to uh, tell Trump, "quote I think it will pass, and it would be my recommendation he would he should resign." Uh, nobody knows whether McCarthy actually said this to Trump or not. What we do know is that his spokesman said that the New York Times story was quote, totally false and wrong. McCarthy never said he would called Trump to say he should resign and then out comes the audio tape. Um, so that's the story is McCarthy and his people, you know, lying and getting caught, you know, dead out in a lie uh, because of the sound of his own voice on a tape uh, Halperin goes on to say, I continue to believe that McCarthy will become speaker next year, and but that his ties to Trump and his com- the combination of his Trumpian instinct to go with lies to get through the moment without Trump's Houdini-like capacity to escape with his life on the other side are going to make his time running the House fraught and maybe short-lived. So stay tuned. But as for the landmark moment at the White House on Thursday, as best as I can see, with one exception, the dominant media is pretending it didn't happen. And that moment is when... Uh, As Bloomberg News put it, President Joe Biden mixed up the federal mask mandate with pandemic-related border controls on Thursday, temporarily causing confusion about his response to key issues facing the administration, asked by a reporter whether he plans to delay lifting a policy known as Title 42 that allows most migrants to be quickly returned turned away at the border. Biden responded as if he'd been asked about a judge's ruling Monday striking down the federal government's mask mandate on public transportation. Quote, no, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my, well, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if in fact it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we be able to do that. But there's been no decision on extending Title 42 so basically, uh, this is where Halpern sets up this. What's the bigger story? McCarthy lying or uh, Biden mistaking uh, the mask mandate for the border control and saying this is the Rorschach test of you know where you are on the political spectrum. Uh, so which is the bigger story?
2: I bigger story is McCarthy. The bigger deal is Biden a good way to put it
0: well put right so let's go with the bigger (laughs) let's go with the bigger deal and then go with the bigger story
2: well it's a bigger deal because the president of the united states is making large substantive mistakes about big and serious matters of policy and it's not it's it's a bigger deal because it's not a bigger story, because it's not setting alarm bells off um, because the media is covering for him. And the, the administration, naturally, uh, the spokespeople have to send out corrections and walkbacks and 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 all that. But look, this is not an isolated incident. Every time Joe Biden speaks, uh, certainly in a always in the question and answer session, um, he makes mistakes like this. And as Christine has documented uh, extraordinarily well in, it's the most recent, your most recent column? Yeah, your, the, uh, in, yes. your in your commentary column that's up now about, about stop stopping, all, all the, the media does is call them gaffes. Uh, these are not gaffes.
0: Right, yeah, Christine. I, I, so as the Gaffmeister, as the, the, gaffmeister. the, not, as the not Gaffmeister.
3: Well, th- I mean, I joke, but like there, there is a sense in which, uh, I mean, this is the oopsie daisy presidency, right? Everything he does, wrong, even if it's, he speaks out of turn, he makes a policy and then claims they didn't do that. I mean, it's all oopsie daisy and everybody smooths it over. And it's now, it's not a joke. Like I know that at first people were like, oh, the gaffes, he's gaff prone. He himself seemed very self-aware and would, would mention that he was gaff prone, or we were told it was because it was the hangover effects of his childhood stutter, all of these you know, ridiculous excuses were made. But at this point, given it, it creates anxiety because we don't know who's in charge if he doesn't understand the basics of policymaking. And and the these are serious issues, the border uh, issue in particularly within his own party. There's a lot of uh, controversy over whether or not this should be extended. Um, lots of Democrats are concerned about what it's going to do politically in the midterm elections. He should be completely on top of this. He is briefed every day about this stuff. And if he can't hold those, you know, uh, important talking points in his head, he he He's we're in trouble and I think it's also uh, exacerbated by the fact that he's very controlled and has very few of these press conference type settings where he takes questions he often just turns his back and walks away after making a statement. Um, and every single time he opens his mouth, his communications team is like a sensor in live TV, like they're re- just ready to jump on all of his mistakes and immediately correct them. And the media is not doing its job when it doesn't push back on why this is just a consistent, it, it, it's, a, it's not a bug, it's a feature of this presidency.
1: His the, the president's being non-compass mentis, <clears throat> suggests as he says in these, when he talks about policy that he's outsourcing a lot of these issues to much of his administration, who cannot be trusted to manage these issues. He doesn't seem to have a very firm opinion or even a, even much of a grasp on what the, the issue is with this border control. And I'm sure his administration is dominated by like minds, most of whom are on the progressive left, who also don't see this as much of a big deal. They have bigger fr- fish to fry. But every poll suggests that the public is much more tuned in to the immigration issue and much more apprehensive about the state of immigration in this country than his administration is. Likewise, he doesn't seem to have a strong opinion about masking, whether it's necessary or not, sort of outsourcing that to the public health apparatus. The public health apparatus is utterly captured and and unrepresentative of the national mood as indicated by a Washington Post piece this morning by two public health communications professionals, Lucky Tran and Oni Blackstone. Both of whom articulate something that I think is antithetical to the American ideal. Quote: Pundits and even the CDC itself are emphasizing that it's up to individuals to make their own choices about how to protect themselves depending on their risk tolerance. But this narrative goes against the foundation of public health. No S. What have we been what have we been saying over the last two and a half years? Yeah, there's a fundamental American libertarian streak that is at odds with the technocratic impulses of the public health apparatus to the extent now that the, the public health apparatus is behind the news. in this very piece that's published this morning, they he praise on the city of Philadelphia for bucking these trends and reimposing the mask mandate. The mask mandate fell out from under them before this piece was even published. Philadelphia abandoned it after several days. The public health apparatus has demonstrated that it doesn't know what it's doing, that it doesn't know what the pulse of the American, uh, it doesn't have its finger on the American pulse anymore. It's just sort of a runaway train. And it's responsible. That's the president's responsibility to reign on his own executive agencies. He doesn't seem to have any interest or capacity to do that.
3: Well, and I okay. can I just well, add that they yeah. are other favorite public health professional reemerge like Gollum from a cave, you know, to say one CDC to rule them all. Uh, Fauci went back on TV to say, uh, well, I the, he was asked about the mask mandate being lifted on planes. Said, well, I'm going to continue to wear masks. I'm going to continue. I mean, the same sort of hectoring, you know, trust your public health scientists over, over your own uh, ability to analyze the situation. So he's like a bad penny.
0: um, So the capacity question here is, is, is everything. And that's really why it's a story because I mean, it's not cute that asked a question about the border. He answers with a question about masking and really genuinely, if you watch it, doesn't, doesn't know which is which he doesn't know that title 42, which is one of the, I don't know, three or four dominating populist political issues in the United States right now, isn't the judge's ruling in the masking case. And. Um, yeah. I just
2: want to say, because it's not, it's not like he just answers another question as if he misheard the question. He answers the question. Inquis- he answers the question, incorporating title for
0: ninety two into in forty two, yeah, forty two. Yeah, you get I mean, the a, same you, answer. You can't. From somebody you shouldn't who... be president of the United States because you just said title ninety two instead of title forty two. But it's okay for,
1: for because him. I
2: thought you said title
0: ninety two. And then
1: so look, look, let's let's
2: let, 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 let's quickly sort the caliber of the...
1: conversation we're getting out of the Oval Office, though. Sort right, of, but here,
0: so here, here attached. are the yeah. So we spent um we, we spent six months, even at the beginning of the Trump presidency, with serious questions being raised about whether or not officials in the Trump administration should invoke the 25th Amendment against Trump because he was crazy, right? I mean, this was a real topic, like it was talked about on morning shows, it was talked about in blog posts, everything, Twitter, there was a lot of 25th Amendment talks. The 25th Amendment, which was passed in 1967, was passed as a result of revelations about Woodrow Wilson, really about, I mean, it was also sort of in the wake of a of the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the question raised of the, what would happen if Kennedy had actually been incapacitated rather than killed by the shot and then we had this uh, we've had we had this kind of series of revelations that in fact in the last 14 months I think of his presidency that Woodrow Wilson was effectively incapacitated and that his wife um, Edith had essentially been president of the United States and something ne- there needed to be a process by which That possible incapacitation could be uh, handled and dealt with uh, as a constitutional matter. And so the 25th Amendment was passed. And so it's a very elaborate, very complicated procedure. And I don't want to go into it again. However, this is the sort of circumstance for which the 25th Amendment was written, theoretically. If Biden is failing, has failing mental capacities does not refuses to recognize it or has a power structure behind him that will not uh, acknowledge it um there are various modalities according to which members of the cabinet and others can force or can try to compel a temporary suspension of his presidential powers uh and then there are various procedures after two weeks and three weeks for this kind of to continue right so um there's no reason to think he is there yet or that he will ever get there but the notion that this is not thinkable now is impossible it is impo- it, it, it. it's an act of uh, ostrich-like denial to say that biden's continued missteps and as christine says in her really excellent piece which you should go to commentary.org and read i mean there's a pattern this is a long pattern this is not you know um these are not slip ups or cute mistakes or something like that. It is a pattern. We saw it last week with the famous handshake to nowhere that then PolitiFact, as we talked about, I think yesterday, attempted to say it was not true that he was hand, making a handshake to nowhere. I watched it again yesterday. Yes, he was. There was no one there. He kept looking for someone. Um and, you know, we're in the middle of like a, a major war in Ukraine. We're in the middle of a, an inflationary spiral. All of this, uh, this is a very difficult time for the presidency. And he seems uniquely ill-suited to handle that stuff. And if there is a reason that he can't handle it, that has to do with a it has to do with failing mentally when he is 79 years old, uh, such is life and something will have to be done about it. Now, that then brings and because he's president now for two years and eight months longer,
1: Right. Well, that leads us into the bigger story, because if you're saying this is a live issue, a live issue to the point that Republicans will be handed the ball when they most likely take control of the House of Representatives and could take control of both chambers of Congress, then we get into what
0: what Kevin McCarthy and his majority
1: does with this imperative.
0: Well, so um, but here's the other part of this, though, which is so. So if we game it out, Uh, Let's say that he uh, doesn't, uh, he isn't failing mentally or, you know, in any way that is sort of cognitively measurable. And he does decide to run again for office in 2024 to run for re election because he is, after all, the, you know, leading Democrat and all of that. How much money will dark money groups spend in 2024? simply running footage of him trying to shake nobody's hand or saying this or that or the other thing or making terrible mistakes. How many more of these are there going to be before 2024? Are we talking about $100 million? Are we talking about $500 million? This is the gimme of all gimmies. Biden is setting himself up in a re-election to be humiliated and to have his mental fitness called into question in a way that no effort to sustain, you know, to say that this is disinformation on the part of social media will be able to stay. There is no way that this will not be before the American people every day, every hour. And who, who exactly isn't going to be stirred and made a little nervous by this? (laughs)
3: can i just can i just say though when there's a whole nother clip reel that you could compile of his vice president right now so it's not and and this is why we all always see these stories about how he'll run again because the only person who could beat trump again is biden it's got to be biden she just spoke uh, the vice president spoke to space force yesterday so she's in front of people who ostensibly have been trained to understand how space works and she gave a a speech, if you can even call it that, that sounded like a fifth graders book report written on deadline about space, and they had to have, you know, 500 words. And it was, I mean, I thought, it, again, it's it, so much of what she says and does is almost a parody, but that's the alternative. So I think that's why the cover up for Biden will continue and why all of those, there'll be an entire narrative that's, that's you know, how dare you attack our president's, you know, mental fitness, et cetera, et cetera, because the alternative is in some ways worse. Look, I think
0: the alternative is in some ways worse. I mean, that's 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 the horror of the situation. you know, you have, I mean, I don't think Kamala Harris is 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 stupid or anything. but I mean, but I mean, you know, Veep was a prophecy of Kamala Harris, the exception you know with, with without the without the diversity, you know, I mean, she is Selena Meyer, who is not dumb but is constantly, tripping over her own shoelaces and not that she wears shoes that have shoelaces uh on on v but she is constantly going into places like space force and giving these bizarre you know illiterate uh uh, full of uh you know uh, uh, pseudo profundity blatherskite speeches that are hilarious and that's what it's sort of like with with Kamala Harris. But if so, if the implicit message of the Democratic Party is we're going to have to stick with Joe Biden, because if we if we think things are bad now, we're going to get Kamala Harris without it's an interesting strategy or worse. Way. Or you don't get in, in, Kamala Harris, you get a contested primary that tears the party apart, which seems more
1: likely, which is probably why I've always said from day one that Joe Biden will run again, whether he's com- competent and can string a sentence together or not, because the alternative is more terrifying worse if we get a lot of these gaps there will be no response to them from the democratic side they'll just pretend it's not a legitimate issue because it's ageism because it's prejudicial because it's generally just uh, in an abdication of their uh of their responsibilities to their constituencies and it's a real live issue and pretending it's not a real live issue as they will is what's going to happen
0: look we have all this talk there's all this talk about the sandwich generation right which is sort of like the largest cohort of voters In the United States, like the voters between the ages of 40 and 70, right? It's sort of this supposedly the sandwich generation, which some of are raising kids or still have kids in college and they have to deal with their elderly parents. There are tens and tens and tens of millions of people in the United States with elderly parents who have elderly parent issues and saying to somebody, well, you know, he's he's 81 or whatever Biden will be in 2024, but it's totally Capable of handling the presidency. I don't know how many people will simply accept that as a as a given. You know, it's one thing if you're running for Senate, whatever. There's no other candidates. You don't really care what is a senator to do anyway. You don't pay that much attention, right? This is the president of the United States. They are yeah, and and by the way, the contested primary thing is now comic because we're getting all sorts of indications that two people who might be considering runs, one of them is Bernie Sanders who will also be in his 80s. And there is some weird Hillary Clinton boomlet going on, which I don't really understand. Now, she won't be in her 80s. I mean, you know, that's the, one of the great comedies of, uh, of our time is that uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Al Gore, right? Uh, candidates from the 90s today are younger than Donald Trump and Joe Biden both. Yeah, but she'll still be Hillary Clinton, which is the problem. No, I know. So let's go back to Philadelphia for a minute, because and this is where Biden's incompetence as a political player and the and the fact that Republicans should be incredibly confident going forward uh, with their prospects in 2022 are, are made really evident because of the Democratic Party's Uh, inability to also not trip over its own shoelaces. So Philadelphia declares the return of an indoor mask mandate, and then suddenly it's lifted. Uh, I would say it is no accident, comrade that this lifting came a day after uh, their very interesting democratic senatorial candidate said he was against that Philadelphia had to lift its mask mandate. Uh, Why, why he said, uh, uh, Fetterman, he said, like, you know, we can't have this. It's time to move on. Da, 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 da. He's doing that, believe me, because of polling. Like, he's doing everybody who actually has to be a person who is facing voters in 2022 in a closely contested place does not want to be associated with mask mandates. And he saw a gimme here. And I think. Like I said the first time we heard that Philadelphia was doing this, 25,000 votes in Philadelphia that flopped the other way to the, to the Republican, whoever that is, wins the Senate seat for, the, for in Pennsylvania for the Republicans. It doesn't take much. 15,000, 20,000, I don't even know. Fairman clearly understood the danger. He said that they should this shouldn't happen. And I'm pretty sure that the mayor of Philadelphia, whatever, said we better. You know, he had a phone call and said, "What? What? what are you doing? Why are you, you trying to ruin me? You want? You want? You want Mitch McConnell to control the Senate? Is that what you want?" Okay, there's a lot of controversy. We're lifting the mask mandate. I mean, that is rather than the CDC getting the DOJ to sue, forcing Biden and Saki and everybody to continue answering questions about what's going on with the mask mandate. And will the CDC lift the mask mandate? They're only doing this in order to keep their power of being able to impose such things later. But they also have a deadline where they're going to have to talk about lifting the mask mandate, their own guidance, which I think is now May 3rd or something like that. Whatever was two weeks from from April 19th. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? I don't understand. It's it's very mysterious to me what they're going to do, because how can they not say the mask mandate needs to remain in place if they're facing this suit? Okay? Meanwhile, deaths in the United States are down to 376 a day, a terrible number, but it's not 1,000. And once again, we have case rates up 52% and deaths down 33% in the same 14-day period the complete separation of the illness from the from the positive testing i mean there was
2: the you know the consequences of the illness
0: from the positive testing
2: i'm sorry can uh, i just yeah jump back to the to biden and i just want to make one point here about um it all it's also how how it's going to affect elections um so yeah not only uh will will republicans be able to run endless ads of uh, showing Biden shaking hands with thin air and making all these mistakes. But this would all be one thing if things were going well, The people could Americans could possibly respond with the idea that, yeah, I don't think the guy's all there, but you know what? It's kind of all working anyway. They've got a team in place and they're, they're, they're putting things together and somehow they're making it all happen. I think you can make a really good argument that, the White House team is spending so much time propping him up, cr- fixing his big mistakes that they are blowing a lot of things actually, and and that you can sort of see the the results of it at work. So it's it's not just an empty look at this guy and laugh uh, camp, you know, uh, uh, sort of negative campaign. It's a oh, we have real problems, and that may not be disconnected from the, the cognitive state of, of the man in the Oval Office.
3: Right. Cause they spend so much time managing their talent. I mean, they're almost like a, you know, the, the team that surrounds the entourage that surrounds the celebrity, because they have to clean up his messes. They have to prep, probably prep him in a way that maybe he, you know, other presidents could sort of riff. And uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, Intellectual and emotional energy that's spent on that is not being spent on long-term planning. That's why it does seem like this presidency lives in the immediate news cycle in a way that that uh, kind of like Trump did, right? That you you're not getting a sense of long-term planning on a lot of these issues, and and senators are stepping in trying to fill that role for him on the left and they end up with the disaster of, you know, Elizabeth Warren once again haranguing the public about how, you know, working class uh, non-college educated voters should foot the bill for college educated Americans. And, And so they just keep stepping on these detonating these bombs that are easily avoided. But the White House is obviously not driving the message. They're constantly reacting to it.
0: I mean, I, you know, I think the most important point is it doesn't matter in that sense. It doesn't matter what the president's, you know, day to day performances, the results are the results and the results are eight and a half percent inflation. You know, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no arguing the experience, the daily, the day to day lived experience of Americans and the idea that the White House isn't able to do things that will um, mitigate or, or, or help resolve those issues, no matter how much they say that they're doing it, uh, this is a question of what people feel, you know? I mean, that's what's interesting, is it, it's a question of what you feel, you know, and and uh, for a long time, some of these kinds of economics really were divorced from people's lived day-to-day experience, and now, uh, you know, the thing about inflation is that it affects everybody, and it affects people, you know, the poorer you are, the more regressive the taxes and all of that. And so if you're in the top 1% or you're part of the media elite, inflation doesn't affect you that much in some fundamental sense. You know, I mean, it' not that you don't know that you're spending, you know, 10% more, but you know what, honestly, at this level, like, you know, you go to a restaurant and a you go to one restaurant and the hamburger, you you have a deluxe, you know, hamburger would made with prime meat and this and that and the other thing costs $27 and then you go to another restaurant and it costs 30 you know so maybe you'll buy the $30 burger and not the $27 burger but that's not you know and that that's the life that people in the elites live and it's not the life that everybody else lives uh at all and uh, you know or what they're getting is a is a burger that's 20 percent smaller uh, if they go to a fast food chain or at some point prices are going to be raised, and so, you know, Biden's, you have a worsening situation, I think, uh, in, in that, and then you have a president who, whose capacity to talk about issues and deal with his job seems to be worsening, and that that is a, you know, that's a, uh, what is, if, if it's, that's the daily double, it's not a trifecta, because usually you say, ah, oh, that's the trifecta, but there's only two things there, right, so, Anyway, so that's the bigger deal. Uh, Before we get to the bigger news story, as Abe put it, let me talk to you about our friend David Bonson at the Bonson Group and his book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, something that as you can hear from my peroration just now, uh, Joe Biden and his people would do well to pick up and start consulting. These are 250 lessons about Human flourishing, human activity, economic activity, and how all of them inter, you know, uh, intersect and interplay, uh, using great quotes from great political philosophers, economists, theologians, uh, and exploring uh, very specific ideas about these topics and how they. Uh, meld or combine uh, to give us a sense of why uh, the ordered liberty as, 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 as created by the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence have created this uh, best and freest society the world has ever known and why we muck, muck around with it uh, at our peril. So that's David Bonson, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, his book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, now available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or wherever you get your fine books. Okay, so the big news story, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, uh, minority leader um, of the House of Representatives, putative next speaker of the House of Representatives, um, caught out in a uh, bald face lie. It's possible it's not a bald face lie, because it is. it's conceivable that this is something he said on tape that he doesn't remember saying in a sort of a longer conversation, but he said flatly and his, his spokesman said, I didn't say this and this is just, you know, some sort of evil mainstream media villainy. Um, the instant thought on the part of uh, people wishing to either defend him or make light of this or say it didn't matter or whatever was that obviously this is the evil Liz Cheney leaked this. Liz Cheney denies, Liz Cheney people deny having been the ones to leak it to, uh, to Alexander Burns and Jonathan Martin. But it's there; it's right there. I'm going to tell him to resign. So, of course, if he's going to tell him to resign, he would tell him to resign because he thinks he needs to resign, not just for political reasons, but for moral reasons. And then three weeks later, he goes down and, you know, uh, kisses kisses Trump's ring and does other, you know, things. And uh, where are we? What does this
2: mean? It does. I don't think it means anything. But go ahead. Well, I just want to say, if he doesn't remember saying that he's going, that he was thinking of telling the president to resign, then he has the same problem as Joe Biden. <laughs> well, and I mean, he's only what? 57. So but I, if you
3: OK, so I have strong feelings about Kevin McCarthy, none of them positive. I think he's been he's a poor leader. He's 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 you know, he has no moral uh, compass at all. And all he's done is is constantly betray whatever principles might exist in the the House GOP to try to become speaker one day. That said, when you when you look at the context of the conversation, you could very well imagine him because he does this all the time. He's done it with Trump constantly being in a room with someone who's very certain about her principles, Liz Cheney, her saying what's happening and some other leaders and him going, oh, you know, I agree like he's in he's in the in crowd. Then he's going to he's going to agree with them. He's going to say what he thinks they want to hear. And then he'll turn around and do something else. I'm wondering what he told Trump. Like, did he tell Trump, oh, I, I was defending your honor, you know, oh, that terrible Liz Cheney. If he lied to Trump, then he's got, you know, Trump's going to just just open a can of, you know, what on him. But I, I he just strikes me as the kind of politician who doesn't understand um, that there are moments when one's power comes from sticking with one's principles, not kind of, you know, going along with whoever happens to be in the room at the moment, which is what McCarthy tends to do.
1: When John raised the prospect of a 25th Amendment <clears throat> push ar- arising from the grassroots, everybody should expect that McCarthy won't be able to resist that temptation, nor will he prosecute or execute it competently. Um, when, you know, we've had at least a couple of examples of him trying to be a good steward or good shepherd of uh, MAGA interests and failing spectacularly because he can't keep his conference in line. Um, he very publicly admonished. Uh, the Republican conference in the House, not to support the bipartisan infrastructure package. 13 Republicans bucked him. He very publicly tried to leverage everybody to stay away from, uh, not to ratify the idea of an uh, independent commission to investigate the events of January 6th. 35 Republicans ignored him. Um, So I don't agree with either of those priorities, but he made it a goal and he lost. He's a bad steward of his conference. He can't keep them in line. That's all your job is as speaker. We can expect a not very good speakership, I suspect.
0: I mean, I don't really think Kevin McCarthy has a role in the 25th Amendment process until and unless it's involved. No, it
1: would be a symbolic resolution of some sort that would only commit them to a course of action that they wouldn't be able to follow up on and wouldn't be able to articulate why they're doing the things they're doing. It would just create a news story for them to distract from what could be a much more a much better message about the incompetence of the administration <laughs> and instead they're just going to be stepping into a trap that democrats want they want to frame this as the, the president is being persecuted by republicans these people are all prejudiced and ageist and what have you I and mean, it would just give them the narrative they want and we ha- should have every expectation that he will do just that
0: um you know the 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 bad part about Biden being so incompetent. I mean, aside from everything else, like we don't want an incompetent president and all of that. But uh, the good part for, you know, people of our ideological stripe is that he uh, he isn't effective at getting what he wants, and he therefore we're sort of saved from the wor- his worst impulses or his worst policy uh, directions and guidances by his own in, you know, his own inability to get out of his own way. But there's a second problem, which is that it, um, it it will make things very. It makes things, as I keep saying, easier and easier and easier for Republicans to head into November in a condition maybe of almost total triumph, and therefore uh, there won't be any adjudication. On the republican side of the best way to appeal to the american people in this post trump era uh, how to how to get the soccer moms bet what what do we do where do we go too far why did why did 81 million people vote against us in in 2020 in so that the impulse to say well they didn't the election was stolen is already uh, there among you know say 15 to 20 percent of people and then the other thing is like there isn't going to be any there isn't going to be any policy it's like no we, we really shouldn't, I don't know what, you know, um, we shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, isolationist, uh, we need to have a fight about isolationism or we need to have fights about how best to talk about, uh, CRT or, or, you know, um, trans issues or how, however the culture war goes, because, because, uh, it's just going to be a cakewalk and then everyone is going to say, you see, the American people are behind us, and the extremism of the, you know, Republican elected officials that uh, is highlighted by by the dominant liberal media, they'll be able to say, you see, the people are with me, they're not, you know, the media came after me, I'm, you know, Lauren Boebert, I'm, you know, uh, who, you know, um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you know, and I survived because you're with me and you agree with me that, you know, every two year old should have a, an AR-15 or whatever. So there's so there will be no, uh, you know, there will be no debate on the Republican side about how best to be appealing in 2024 because the, the, the triumphalism will be will be total. Um, and and I, nothing nothing will have been, I think, very little will have been discredited by the 2022 election or called into question by the 2022 election.
2: I think this is true. Um, but I also think that given the, the degree of f- fractiousness on the right generally, it was always going to be more than a, a two- year period before anyone started figuring out what the quote new right is going to be um i think i think we're we're i think we're a ways off from that no matter what
0: uh yeah i mean i think that's right and so you know uh the whole question of what happens will have you know uh, this is another interesting failure on biden's part Uh, Obama was the same was the same failure because they were so confident in some weird way that they had changed the political dynamic in the United States. They didn't continue in their presidency to attempt to solidify the crossover votes that made them that got them into the presidency. Instead, they tacked back to their base And created a very muddy political situation for themselves going forward. Um, And so, you know, a, a, a smart party that needs to grow would say, oh my God, I got these people to vote for me for the first time. What more can I do to bring them into our tent? What do I, how do I continue to talk in ways that are appealing to them? Because you know, uh, George W. Bush came into office, you know, having having lost the popular vote by 500,000 votes. And between 2000 and 2004, he increased his vote total by 22 percent. Uh, how did he do that? Well, he did that because not only was was there 9-11, but he did all he did various other things. You know, he did reach out across the aisle. He did, you know, and he he made this case about 9-11 that was bipartisan that was of appeal to people who who might not otherwise have voted for him uh, a second time that's the model that you want to follow you want to grow your party not shrink it Trump shrunk his part even though Trump's vote nominally went up it didn't go up and not you know that was sort of secular growth of the electorate because of the intensity frame but uh, you know He didn't grow his party enough. And and Biden is clearly not doing anything to grow his party. And then the Republicans are going to be in a position where it's like, oh, my God, there are all these voters who are up for grabs again because we got them back. We got them back in 2022. And guess what? We're going to just talk the same way we did in 2018 and 2020 that made them run the other way in the hopes that Biden's senility and, you know, and the Democratic Party's, you know, progressive um, idiocy are just going to keep people in our camp anyway so it's a you know it, it's like uh you know uh, what's happening with the republicans is a little like or what's happening with people who want a better politics in the united states and are disgusted by biden and disgusted by the way the democrats have handled themselves and want to see them you know brought low is it's a little like you know getting the wish from the genie like you're gonna get your wish 2020 is gonna be a blowout and you may not like, it, but at the cost of what? At the cost of maybe advancing the interest of the worst elements of the Republican Party, conceivably. And Kevin McCarthy is the perfect representative of that. Where will he blow? Which way will he blow? Who will he tack toward? Um, how, you know, how solid is his, you know, I mean, the thing is, I don't understand how anyone else is going to end up being speaker because you still are going to have to get a majority of the votes of the, of the house Republican conference. And, you know, I mean, Lauren Boebert can run against him, but no one's going to make her speaker. It's a very difficult job. It's complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. You have to handle the schedule and do this and blah, and blah, do fundraising and, you know, uh, and all of that. And, uh, and so somebody may run against him, but, um, but in his panicked effort to make sure that he gets climbs to the top of the greasy pole, he will probably be making guarantees and representations to people in the party um, who will not be helpful in making the case that the party is a solid governing party going forward? Either. Do we have anything else to talk about? Uh, we haven't talked about Russia, but I don't think you know. I think we're just still where <laughs> where we were two days ago. Um, I don't know anything. No? Okay. So this is a very short podcast. That's good. You have a, we're giving you more time on a fun weekend to enjoy yourself instead of listening to us. Uh, good luck, Noah, on your final day. Thank Abe you. and Christine, have a great weekend. For for all three, uh, I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.